For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In the closing verses of the letter to the Hebrews, the exhortations just keep coming. In today's passage, we are called to put our trust in God rather than money, and when it comes to those who lead us, to cooperate with them and make their task a joy, not a burden. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, Contentment and Cooperation. Well, as I've said, we've, we're coming here now to the close of the book of Hebrews. We call it the book of Hebrews, but actually, of course, it's a letter, right? As is uh, most of the New Testament. 24 out of 27 of the books are actual letters. Um, And what a genius thing of the Holy Spirit to put his truth in the form of a personable, warm, easy-to-understand letter. And so we're taking a look at that letter to the Hebrews uh, this morning. Now, before the pastor who's writing is going to sign off, uh, to these dear Hebrew Christian friends of his, they're Jews who received Jesus, and so they're Hebrew Christians, as were really uh, much of the church for the first 50, 75 uh, years of Christianity. And he's firing off some last-second instructions before he brings the letter to a close. And, and he, he, he's meaning to uh, keep his struggling friends safe and strong in their faith because things are heating up there under the Roman Empire, and it's tough to be a Christian. And so a lot of what he's saying here, don't do that, do this, are, are warnings when people... Uh, are undergoing a lot of stress and pressure that they tend to do, uh, they, they tend to have pitfalls. And so the last chapter, chapter 13, there's a lot of watch out that as you're stressed out, you don't fall prey to X, Y, and Z. So that's really the common thread that's going through uh, the chapter as he's kind of throwing these last minute exhortations out. And, and essentially, the whole letter, of course, has been about the glory of the new covenant we call the covenant of grace, because these are Jews who added Jesus to their lives and added a whole lot of problems. They were being persecuted. It was unsafe. Uh, they were being publicly shamed, and it was getting worse and worse. So uh, the temptation was to go back to the old covenant. They were already Jews. They were alienated from their families. And so, hey, we'll go back. We'll be uh, welcomed back into shul, is a Yiddish word for synagogue. And, and we'll find our place at the Hanukkah table, and everybody will be happy, except the Lord, because they knew too much to go back. The writer, the pastor writing his congregation, it looks like, is saying, you guys have been enlightened. You've tasted The Lord has revealed himself to you. You know too much to go backwards. You can't go backwards and sin against truth, the truth that you know. Yeah, sure, you'll be more comfortable. They won't persecute you as much now that you're not preaching and sharing the gospel. But at what price are you actually going to opt for making your comfort, making yourself more comfortable at the cost 
of, of turning away from your Savior and from God's truth? Is, is that worth? Uh, it's not worth it, you know. And so he, he's convincing them about how Judaism was emphasizing the problem. There's a problem between God and us, and there needs to be a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice to carry away our sins. He says, look, at that's the old covenant of law, trying to be good and knowing that we're not, bringing a blood sacrifice instead of the new covenant where the God-man becomes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and makes you new inside, puts his spirit inside of you. This is called the new covenant, right? So Judaism flowers into this beautiful resolve called Christianity, the permanent fix for man's eternal struggle that was eternal, now fixed in Christ. And and so that's what he's been saying. So at the end now, he's saying, in light of what you know, who Jesus is, He's God in the flesh. What he's done for you, he shed his own blood and bore all your sins and took them all away so that you could have 24-7 access boldly and confidently in God's presence and the eternal life. In light of that, here's how you should be living. Make sure you don't forget about this and don't do that. And that's where we've been at. And we've been spending a lot of time because some of those pointers and that advice is really life-changing. And so uh, there are a few left. We're going to get to two of them uh, this morning. <laughs> All right. But, but there's not that many left. And so how long could that possibly take us to get through? <laughs> right? Don't answer that. Uh, all right. So, so let's pick up. First, we'll handle uh, the first exhortation. And then one other, and then uh, we'll close. So, uh, warning number one. As things heat up out there, make sure you don't fall for this one. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So with confidence... So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So he's quoting Psalm 118, verse 6. The Lord is my helper. I won't be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? If God is for me, who could be against me is the idea there. And so we're going to take a look at this first. So so number one, it's about greed, Don't be discontent. Don't believe the lie that thinking that more money is going to fix the problem, that better financial situation is the answer. It's going to provide the security and the comfort that you're looking for in your struggles. That kind of thinking breeds discontentment. You're never always, you're never happy. You have to have more and more of this. and, and, And discontentment, is the antithesis of Christianity. Jesus came to give us peace. He says, come to me, all who are heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest, right? And and so he talks about, uh, I have come to bring them life and that they have it more abundantly. So being discontent is just the opposite of what Christ came to do in us 
and through us. And so uh, he's calling them to a life of contentment. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Coveting stuff and, uh, is needless when you have the Lord. You have the Lord. Really? So what else would you need beside the Lord? We're going to talk about this. Now, actually, this verse to kind of put your passion of greed there in all sinful hearts, it's there uh, to kind of put that in check. That is connected to the verse that came before it. So it's always helpful to get the context here. As he's saying, uh, watch out for these things. He's saying, you know, you've got to manage those wild horses of passion that are within the human heart that always want to take control. And he's saying, when the pressure goes up on the outside, those passions, those wild horses inside, they really want to take off and lead the way. But you by the power of the Holy Spirit, especially when you're hurting and you're confused and you're ticked off or you're hurt, those are the times when those beasts are right at the gate and they say, let me out, I'll take you for a ride. But that's a ride you don't want to go on because it doesn't fix anything. It makes everything worse. And so the verse before it came out talking about uh, a different kind of lust. Right, he 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 said, um, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, meaning keep your vows, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. And so, really, there's a connection between lust and greed. Always, in fact, in the commandments, right? Commandment number seven is uh, about adultery, and commandment number eight is about stealing. And so they're very close. It's the passionate desire to take what doesn't belong to you. It's really the idea there. And, and nothing will test your vows or your moral fiber like being in the pressure cooker. Oh, it's so easy on Sundays and around Christians. And when you're being blessed and everything's easy and everybody likes you. But then when stuff starts going bad and you get a little wound or you get your feelers hurt, as Barb likes to say, <laughs> then we're going to test to see, you going to keep your vows? Well, I'm mad. Okay, so I guess you get to break your vows because you're mad. Well, somebody hurt me. Okay, so you're going to destroy your life in response to somebody's poor choice to treat you without sensitivity. What is it about humans that we do things like that, right? <laughs> so we get hurt, and it's like, you, you want to see something? Well, I'll really hurt myself, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so he's, he's saying, you know, the speaking of managing your passions, don't forget about greed. So lust and coveting. They're related together, so it's not a surprise that he says, and by the way, don't forget about this loving money. Now, so you could go back to our verse. It's another delusion, another lie, and, and where do lies come from? Jesus, John chapter 8. The devil is the father of lies. He's the source. He's the spring from which all falsehood flows. 
And he loves to lie to God's people. And, the, and, and his favorite lie of all is to keep you from enjoying the blessing that God has for you. He knows he can never have a Christian again. They're born again, born from a, above. They're indestructible. God has already destined. It's a done deal. You're there, right? But he knows that. But what does he want to do with his lies? He wants to distract you and divert you and get you to a place where you're not enjoying the peace and the joy and the love and the contentment that Christ has for you. So it's always over there. It's when you get through this, then you'll be happy. Or when you graduate, or when you get that car, or, or when your, your pay goes up, or when you get married, or when you have the kids, or when you have the grandkids. It's always just don't enjoy them now. Don't enjoy him now. Just enjoy him tomorrow. And then when tomorrow gets there, you're ready to enjoy him. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, there's something else over here. Look over here. You want that and you need that. And you can't really be happy until you get there. So just give me one more day. And we're like, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, he loves to do that. And his favorite tool is money. He lust and coveting. They're so related. Unbridled passions that are, are, well, the object of the desire is slightly of a different nuance with lust. We all know where that goes. Uh, but coveting, it kind of has a material or money aspect to it. And, and so, uh, in fact, in the New Testament, you will see them whenever the Lord exhorts us away from adultery or lust, you'll see greed right next door. And furthermore, the, the word for lust in the New Testament, uh, I have it written down here, epithameo, it can go either way. It's used for coveting of things and lusting uh, for people and things that we ought not to have. Uh, somebody put it this way, it's a passionate desire, literally, just to set your heart upon a thing. If you don't have an, a subject in the sentence and you just see the Greek word, it's neutral. It just means a passionate longing for, and it's when you fill in the blank that it becomes a problem. Lust and coveting, the object is forbidden. It's about idolizing more than God has allowed or, or for something that he's classified for you as off limits. And so... They're very similar. It's just a passion that says, I want what I want. And it doesn't matter, God or people. I just want it. What about the kids? So what? What about your wife, your vows? So what? You know? It just doesn't care if it's immoral, illegal, or fattening. It just, <laughs> it just says, I want it now. And everybody better fall into line and give me what I want. Hey, listen, James chapter 3 and verse 16, where you find envy and selfish ambition, there you will find chaos and every evil practice. That drive. Genesis 4, the Lord says, hey, 
You better master that drive. It's like a wild beast crouching. It wants dominion over you, but you must master it. And it's not like you didn't give us tools. The Holy Spirit can put those horses in check. Put them all bitten bridles and make them do a fine dance at a circus. <laughs> That's the kind of horses you want to go see. But when they break those bonds and they start running wild through the circus, what do you got? You got ambulances and you got people trampled on, right? And so you got to watch out for this. 20 years ago, I'm walking through this parking lot with a friend of mine. And Driving past us, sauntering, just purring, is this Ferrari, a convertible, just beaming, right? Driven by a very beautiful woman. We're walking, and the car's purring, you know, ever so slightly. If the car could sway a little bit, it was swaying. All right, it was just like... Whoa, right? So I was practicing a little discipline. Little did I know that I'd get to use this story. I'm glad I was. And, and I'm just like, oh, what's that over there? And I've got my focus there. But my buddy's head did a 360. All right. Now, I, I made a mistake for a service. I called it a 380, <laughs> which was more really properly correct. Because... <laughs> It went around, and then it went around a little bit more. All right, so without seeing anything, the car goes by. We're walking. His head goes, and I say, looking straight ahead, was it the girl or the car? We're not talking. We're just looking straight. And he says, sadly, both. It was both. It's a twofer. The unbridled passion just says, uh, the, <laughs> the unbridled passion says, I want that, and I want that, right? And I want to be the one in the car, too. Number three, it could go on for days and days and days. It just doesn't matter. So he says, in this case, the word is all one Greek word, which is often the case for a whole sentence in English. It means not a lover of money, one word in the Greek. And the only other place it's used is a requirement for pastors. First Timothy chapter 3 says, on your checklist and your search committee and you're looking for that pastor, one of those requirements is that one word, not a lover of money. And of course you see the wisdom in that. Oh, when a pastor loves money. Oh, it's a tragedy, a disgrace. And such a tool in the devil's hand uh, to, to totally discredit the gospel and all kinds of terrible things happen. And so the misguided passion specifically about money. And first of all, money is neutral. It has no, no morality in and of itself. It's the heart always about it, right? And so what's stirring up this? Well... Um, in chapter 10, verse 34, we find out that some of their material goods have been confiscated. They've lost some of their property because of their Christian stance, right? Their employment has been hindered. Oh, yeah, you go down to the city office, and all you had to do to work for the city and for other areas was to take a little of the incense right there in the foyer, throw it into the little burning fire, 
the prayers go up to Caesar and you say, Caesar is Lord. Christians were walking in there and saying, hey, buddy, you missed us. Hey, do your patriotic duty. Do it. I can't do it. I just became a Christian and, and Jesus is Lord and I can't worship any other gods. Uh, well, then you're not getting the job. Well, okay, then God will have to provide for me because I'm not doing that. So what was happening in the less mature people is, is that, oh, I need money. Money's the answer. I'll build a bigger fence and, and, and we'll store our stuff and we'll have secret bank accounts and you know who's going to get me out of this? Money. I just need stuff. The more stuff, you know, so the next time they come in, let them take the first layer of stuff, but little do they know, I got a shit in the back with more stuff, you know? So I got bank accounts they don't know about. So instead of trusting God and contentment, they looked to money and jobs and income and, and material goods as that's who's gonna rescue me from this trouble. And what, I mean, what did Jesus say about that? He says, you're, if you turn to money as your God and that's your hero and that's what you're all about, he says, you can't serve God and money. He says, it's impossible. You're either going to devote yourself totally to one and, and hate the other one, or you're going to devote yourself to the other one and hate vice versa there, right? And so... <laughs> And, and uh, he's just saying, look, it's impossible. I know you think I'm the exception. I can steward that lottery ticket if I'm the winner. You know, but you know what? He says, listen, you can't do it. God says it's a physical impossibility. What? You know, the famous quote by Rockefeller. Back in the day, he's the old school symbol of a wealthy man. Uh, he was asked once, how much money is enough money? And he said with a smirk, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. That's the devil's line. Oh, always just had a little bit more. The carrot, the proverbial carrot. Just keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. It's all about that. Well, just a little bit more can make some of your problems worse. You know all those shows about, I won the lottery and it ruined my life? Yeah, no one ever believes it. <laughs> but when you read those stories, uh, everybody just schmoozing them and they don't have any friends anymore. And then it takes the character flaws and makes them bigger. You see, money is not the answer. Jesus tried to tell us that. Love Proverbs, it says, don't wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone, for they'll surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. So that's why Jesus says, hey, it's better to invest in things in heaven where the losses are impossible, and God keeps our treasures there. The other thing, of course, if it's all about you and all about you storing up the money and all of that stuff, you know, he's called these Christians in, in these hostile days to love one another, to be open and to be hospitable and to care about those who are mistreated. I'll tell you what, when your single focus is you 
and your bank account and how you're doing financially and your status that way, you don't have time for any of that. That's why Jesus says it, it'll, it'll be a wet blanket to everything God wants you to be when you're serving him and trusting him, you can have contentment. Let me just show you the dangers. It's wrapped up in 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment, it's so good. It's such great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. Listen to this. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. What? <laughs> you're talking to Americans in the 21st century. <laughs> what are you talking about? We're going to be happy with just food and clothing and a roof over our heads? What did Jesus say? This is how you should pray. Give us this day our daily bread and our daily list of all the things that we need so that we can be happy. He says, listen, guys, simplify stuff, all right? <laughs> then he says, it's dangerous. People who want to get rich into temptation, uh, people who want to get rich fall into temptation in a trap and into many foolish, harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Check those words out. For the love of money is a root. Not money, the love of it, idolizing it, putting it before the Savior, making your decisions in light of that all the time is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith wandered from the faith. That is serious. You're not going to hear a well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. You let money cause you to wander from the faith and turn to the joy of the Lord. I'm not saying that you can lose your salvation. I'm just saying there will be Christians who arrive who were a lot of work and who were, sorry, for him, right? And they fell short. They still knew him, but they got led astray. How is he going to congratulate you for wandering away from your faith because you're chasing the American dream, whatever that means, and pierce themselves with many griefs? I think you get it. You know the, the story of the, the money trap, the money trap, the monkey trap, which really goes with the money trap. Um, you, you know how they catch money's money. <laughs> Money, monkey, you try it. You think this is easy? I'm going to pick a few of you and have you come up here and try it. You think it's so easy up there. I'll show you a thing or two. When you wanted to catch a monkey, you just put what they really, really love in a place where they could get their hand in, but they once they got a hold of what they wanted, they couldn't pull it out. And they don't have enough sense to let go when the danger is coming. And you know what? I came across a one-minute YouTube of an old-school National Geographic, right? So the voice is very old and familiar, yeah. But, uh, and also the native, you know, he's not dressed for Sunday morning church. <laughs> All right. However, I thought it brings the idea. So let's watch this. This poor monkey. Voice, it fills a hole in a giant empty. Then he is sure of a boom that's watching him because he knows the boom are incurably inquisitive. 
Next, she puts some wild melon seeds into the hole and works them in so that they drop into a hollow. Then he saunters off, knowing the baboon is burning with curiosity. He doesn't look like he's burning with curiosity. <laughs> Yeah, just let it go. No way. Yeah. Sorry, bro. <laughs> All right, thank you. Oh. Not enough sense. You got what you want. You know danger is coming. You know you're trapped. Let go. Be smarter than a monkey. <laughs> Just stop. Let go. The enemy comes and goes, look at this guy. He's so out of control. The devil comes with his noose and he puts it right around you. You could have fled to the Lord. You could have cried out to him. There's so many ways. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God always provides a way of escape under temptation. There's always a way out. It's called letting go of your hand and running to the Lord. Letting go of not your hand. Let, don't let your hand go. <laughs> Unless you need to cut your hand off. Like... <laughs> The Lord said. And so the misguided drivenness is unnecessary. He says, too bad. All of this angst and discontent and nagging anxieties, needless for a believer. Ben Franklin said, contentment makes poor men rich and discontentment makes rich men poor. He says, listen, verse six, you can and you must be content with things as they are, with what you have today, your current situation is enough. Why? A, you have God. B, he's promised to always help those who belong to him. You've got God's presence and you've got his word. So therefore, if you have God, you have everything you need. There's no reason for this drivenness for the things of tomorrow and the things you don't have and the things you think they, that you need. Jesus said a, just a beautiful uh, vignette of this very thing in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. Uh, he, he tries to help people who are all worried about their daily needs to rest and to trust in their heavenly father. And, and here's a paraphrase of what he told them. Very familiar passage. Of course, you'll know it as soon as I start reading it. He put it this way, of sorts. You of all people who trust in God certainly don't need to be worrying about your life, all your daily necessities. You do realize life is way more important than the daily grind. If you're so insecure, check out the birds that fly in the sky. 
They don't punch a time clock. They don't have jobs or savings accounts. But your heavenly father takes good care of them. Examples are all around you. Take a look at the flowers of the field. They look pretty good, don't they? They're here today and gone tomorrow, but God has made sure that they have pretty clothes to wear. And in fact, some of them look better than King Solomon dressed up in his royal splendor on his wedding day. Or should I say wedding days? (laughs) So stop sweating the small stuff. Isn't that what people do who don't have a God? They're busy running around trying to take care of themselves, but God knows you need all these things. And if you put him first, trust him, everything else will fall into place. Don't borrow trouble from tomorrow. Today's challenging enough, right? Amen. So if he's promised the small stuff, he's got the big stuff. And he's, that works both ways. And if he took care of the big stuff, like saving your eternal soul, you know, he's concerned about PG and Bill too, right? So that's the way we need to be looking at this. We've got God. We don't, every time you want to covet, every single time you just tell yourself, I got God. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That, that scripture is just a soft spot in my heart. A year ago or more now, went to India. I told you the story how God used that verse with me. We went to an orphanage. It was adorable, precious uh, young children, boys and girls all over the place. They put on a program for the missionaries. They put the missionaries on the platform and lined us up in seats facing uh, the adorable kids doing the program. When we came in the door, they had handed us all gifts. Right, so I, I had a, a, a square box that had a gift in it. It was gift wrapped. I didn't know what was in it. Neither did anybody else, but we're sitting there. The microphone's coming down. I wasn't prepared to speak. I just kept hearing, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So I taught it to the kids in English, and I just said, repeat after me, never will I leave you. And these beautiful Indian orphan children, all in you, said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Never will I forsake you. And I'm telling them about this is God's promise to you precious children. And I kept on with it until it was a little bit awkward. It was just, I just wanted to do it for five minutes. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I get back to the hotel room. I open the gift that was wrapped and on my lap. And it's a plaque. And it says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. (laughs) Oh, uh, how does God do that? He's such a multitasker, that one. And I checked with everybody else. What'd you get? Different scriptures, of course, because it had to be for what I was going to do. And he put that on my heart. And here's what it came down to, and I hope it blesses you as a caretaker, as somebody who's ministering to others a lot. Right? We're always like, hey, God's never going to leave you or forsake you. Hey, Jesus loves you. He's compassionate. He's sympathetic. He's listening to you. He's right there. And we forget that it's for us too. And in that quiet, dark hotel room, I heard the Lord to my heart break me down and say, Pastor Ross, 
Whenever he wants my attention, he calls me Pastor Ross. <laughs> it's usually not good. <laughs> this time he says, Pastor Ross, come on. Don't you need to believe that too? You preach to others. I hear some of you, you're pretty good at it. <laughs> you're all over those Bible verses. But don't you dare forget that the very things that you're prescribing for everybody else is for you as well. Amen? Amen. So the next time you want, oh, I need this or I need that or I'm not complete until you just say, I've got God. I've got the planet maker. He's right there saying, hey, how can I be of help today? How can I be of help today? Well, we don't have problems. Amen? Let's take a look at the, uh, it doesn't seem connected. It is connected because they're tempted in their pressure to do yet something else. And, and here it is. I'll read the verses, but I took out the middle part because it's about something that doesn't relate to the whole subject. So next week, we'll look at the middle part. I'll explain what I mean. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, this prompts him to think about a false teaching that those leaders warned them about. So he's going to go into some detail about that false teaching. And then he comes back to the subject of leaders. So I thought, okay, well, we'll take that false teaching out. It kind of gets in the way of the subject, right? And then we'll deal with that next time but we'll, we'll deal with the whole subject of leaders, okay? So he picks up again after he describes the false teaching. He says, so, so about those leaders, obey them, submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work would be a joy, not a burden, for that wouldn't be of any help to you. Pray for us. We're sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way, I especially urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. You see, perhaps he is in prison. He is definitely away. In a few verses from now, he's going to say, Timothy has just been released. And so that's what's going on here, that uh, some of the leaders have been removed or have been martyred. And he starts by bringing uh, them up again, those who are no longer with them, that thus the verse Remember your leaders. You're remembering them because they are not there, the ones who kind of founded the church, started preaching the gospel to them, and they had uh, been taken away and martyred. The, the word, by the way, for outcome is a euphemism for death. So really the idea is, I want to inspire you to live and die with the kind of faith that your dear leaders that came and preached the gospel to you, taught you the word of God, you watched how they lived, you watched how they died, how they didn't cave in. I want you to imitate, not them, their faith. So when those Roman soldiers came in to take them away, they didn't change the gospel. When they were under threat, they lived by faith. And you guys, you're tempted now with the hostility to lose that faith. So he says, do you remember your leaders? Do you remember their faith? They taught you the gospel, and then they lived as an example before you in faith, and they died there in faith. 
That's a well done, good and faithful servant. I want you all to imitate that faith and, and remember that. Uh, so, so that's what's going on here. Uh, the point is, the, the last point was don't believe the lie. Don't be discontent or filled with greed. This point is don't, don't underestimate the value and role of church and church leadership in your life to protect you in these times because what was happening? Well, layer number one is the hostility and the fears. So we're just going to insulate. Chapter 10, verse 25 already told us they, they were stopping from going to church. And he was saying, now's not the time to drop out of church. Now's the time to be there when the doors are open and get strengthened and be a source of blessing and come under the word of God. You see? But uh, that's what was going on here. Now, you can detect... Uh, oh, and then he says that beautiful verse. Leaders come and go. The church leadership, some of them have been martyred. Some of them are estranged from you right now. But Jesus Christ, their Lord, the over-shepherd, the senior pastor of the entire church, he's the same. Yesterday means eternity past because Jesus wasn't a man born in Bethlehem. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He is the Son of God and God the Son. So he lives forever. He's always been the same. He's today the same and forever. And what's that? Your church may change. Your leaders may come and go. But you've got the Lord. He's your senior pastor. He's the good shepherd. And you're good with him. You're safe with him. Your sins are forgiven today, but guess what? Tomorrow they're, they're, they're also forgiven if you're saved. All the way to the end, you can rely on the changeless one, Jesus Christ. And then he says, what about your leaders today? The ones who are still there. Well, first of all, you kind of detect a little bit of some tension there because he wouldn't be saying, hey, which is the bottom line is, don't give your leaders a hard time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's kind of what he's saying. I mean, especially there. I mean, he comes right out and says, you know, obey them, cooperate with them so that their work would be a joy, not a burden. Don't give them a hard time. That's not going to help you to have a discouraged, overburdened pastor. You know? So <laughs> these verses are hard, but they're important. You know what? They're hard, obviously, because they're a little bit awkward for coming from a leader, Right? Why commentators say this ver these verses are important is because you have a lot in the Bible about um, leaders, how they should be, how we should be. You don't have very many verses about the response to leaders. They're very rare. So here, they, here it is. And so what was going on with them? Well, first of all, here, here's what's coming up. They're, they're a little annoyed with the leaders. That's why he has to kind of say, hey, don't stop being like that. Why are they annoyed? Well, first of all, when sheep get scared and fearful, uh, they become a little aggressive, right? A little unruly. Well, what, what happened in Mo with Moses, the, the, the master pastor among us with the largest congregation in the world? Whenever they were freaked out or they were thirsty, or their, their tummies were crumbling, you know. Whose fault was it? Always. Every single time. 
It's you, Moses. And on several occasions, they said, you've led us out here to kill us. We would rather be in Egypt than out here with a couple guys who don't even know where you're going. We've been around this turn 40 times. <laughs> Make up your minds, people. Oh, then you had Korah come up to them and say, excuse me, Moses. All God's people are holy. There's none of this going on. I, I, me and my family, we're like this, Moses and your family. There's no, none of this going on. That's called Korah's rebellion. And it didn't go very well for Korah. Right? <laughs> no, everybody, at the end of the day, guess what? A pastor is a Christian, right? But at the end of the day, Ephesians 4 says, God gifted the church with pastors and teachers to equip and to shepherd and to watch out for the, for the flock of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And that one day he's going to call pastors to account for the souls who said, oh, I went to the rock. He's going to have all your names written down. <laughs> what about this one? What about that one? I better have prayed over you, name or no name. And done right by God, by you. Because he's going to call us to account. A point that he has to make here. Oh, you know, so it's easy to resent somebody who is always telling you to do something you may know you should do, but don't feel like doing it. Right? What is a pastor's job? That's what's going on here. Right? A pastor's job. Let me read it to you. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. That's what God wants pastors to do. To always be, hey, watch out for that. And, and uh, you know, here's what's going on there. People come in. Hey, the city came down. They took my fruit cart from me. They said, because I won't acknowledge Caesar that I can't have my cart out there. And in time, in a loving way, Pastor Paul or Timothy or Aristarchus or, or Apollos or Titus, all these men of God, would say, hey, listen, let's pray for them. Pray for them? What do you mean pray for them? You got to pray for me. I don't have a fruit cart anymore. You know, well, you know, why don't we do something nice for the city? Why don't we go and clean up around their, their little building there? What Are you crazy? I just told you they came in and they took my fruit cart. Well, yeah, you know, you're very angry now. And, and you know what the Bible says? Oh, the Bible says. He's mad. He's upset. So, so what, are these what, what are these pastors doing? They're, they're admonishing them about forgiveness, turning the other cheek, Loving enemies. Oh, they don't want to hear that. Oh, they don't want to hear stuff like that. Well, mature Christians love it. What does it say? Psalm 141. It says, let a righteous person strike me with a correction. I won't refuse it. It will be refreshment to me. Well, that's a mature person. Now, most people aren't fond of being corrected. Right? <laughs> Amen. Oh, come on, you could do better than that. <laughs> I've said this before, but, you know, I don't imagine any of you guys sitting down with your wife or your husband and saying, honey, 
before we have dinner, I'd just like you to just give me a short little list of all the areas that I could grow. <laughs> and, and the things where, you know, that I could, you could, I could correct my behavior. Things I'm not doing so good. Why don't you just let me know? Give me a report card on my behavior. Oh, you want to stay married, right? <laughs> you want to enjoy the dinner, right? Maybe have some peace later after dinner. <laughs> right, right, no. So what is the job of the pastor? The very thing that people just get their feathers all ruffled about. So what is he saying? He's saying things like, are you in the Bible? Hey, watch this one, because you're in trouble if you do, in trouble if you don't. Hey, I've been missing you in service lately. I don't know what to do with that one. You know why? Because here's what happens. Hey, I've been missing you. You guys okay? Just checking in on you. You know, he's so controlling. Oh, my. So controlling. I've gone a few times and bam. Oh, where are you? No, that wasn't what I meant. It was like, haven't seen you. I'm kind of responsible for how you doing. Are you in trouble? Is there a way we could serve you? Or the other way around. Okay, fine. I'm not going to say anything. Four, six weeks later, you hear this. They don't care over there. <laughs> oh, they don't care. Do you know how many times? Six Sundays I've been gone. Not an email, not a text, nothing, right? So I'm like, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's one wonderful tap dance, uh, trying to make everybody happy, you know? Well, well that's what was going on here. You know, he's saying, was that you I saw at the town square, bro, in that group? And I passed by, I smelled something kind of sour, and that, whoa, was that what? Are you hanging out? Oh, now you're going to tell me who I'm going to hang out with, right? (laughs) Well, bro, bad company corrupts good morals. Instead of that, the pastor's going to get slandered. And of course, when people get their feelers hurt, they have to get everybody else on board with them. You know, and so they'll just make stuff up. Did you hear what that so-and-so said about such and such? And you're spinning everybody around. Why? That is why these verses were born. To say, come on, give them a break. They're going to answer to me for how they cared about you. I've asked them to do that. Now, I love the balance. Here's what one, pa- one writer said. Pastors have a tremendous influence over Christians they lead. They must guard their words with the utmost care. We can be dogmatic where there's clear scriptural grounds, yet in other matters, there must be the painstaking effort that allows Christians to exercise self-determination as we entrust them to our prayers and to the Holy Spirit and to the Lord whom they serve. There's one thing for me to be able to say, hey, bro, you know what? You're hanging out with these guys. These guys are doing this. This is not good. Or for me to say, you know what? You asked me, can you live with your girlfriend? You're not married. How about having the the wedding and then the honeymoon? Let's just do it in that order, you know? (laughs) What a concept, (laughs) Uh, right, right, but that's where I can, that's where he's saying obey them, obey them, but not when there's some sort of misappropriation of authority that they start giving their opinions, 
and following you home and, and telling you about what kind of car and this and that. And uh, that's sociopathic behavior. And the Lord's going to deal real seriously with that kind of manipulation. So you've got to discern who the people are, their hearts, their intentions. He says, look, I, I don't know of anything that we're doing. We have a clean conscience. and We desire to live, uh, live honorably, honorably in every way. But pray for us. We have sin natures. We fall short. We got problems. But pray for us. You know, we're doing our best. And, and, and all, all he, he's saying, the Holy Spirit, is cooperate. Lift them up. Make their job easier. Let me close with this illustration. I was sitting with a group of pastors, and we were all sharing our hearts. And the theme was, Brothers, open up. Tell us what you're going through, your struggles with your church and pastoring, right? And so I was sort of last around the table. And as it was going around, the pastors were talking about some pretty significant issues, heavy, with all the guys going, oh, yeah, oh, oh. you know. <laughs> and I started to panic. Because, let me just start from the beginning. The church is in no debt. Why is the church in no debt? Because we have people who are generous and, and faithful at giving. Have I ever asked for money? Never. 12 years, we don't talk about money. We don't fundraise. It never, if it comes up in the scriptures, we talk about it. I've never, never talked about the budget or anything. Open with me in your Bibles and no debt. Always what we need. Salaries, the church growth kept up with. Okay, so, so no money problems. Staffing. It is so much fun to work here. It, it, it feels like it's wrong. Like, I, we, we have a lot of fun. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Listen, I'm telling you what, the three pastors under me, they're all in their 30s. They all have you know, little young families starting. They are the most precious men of God you know them. They, are, are, they would lay down their lives for one another. They are, when you see them together, your heart just gets happy. They're just like a three little golden retrievers. <laughs> they're, they're cute and adorable and handsome and all have hair and they're tall. I don't know what happened. Okay, right. Okay, let me go on. The support staff. All you have to do is say, hey, we have a need over here. You've got these guys, the ushers, the deacons, the children's ministry people, the hospitality people. There's, there's probably 200 people that serve in some way at this church. So I'm thinking, I'm just thinking, I know we've got to have problems here somewhere because they all have problems. So I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I've got to come up with something. And, and so I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, and, you know, and and. And how about people inviting their neighbors? They're inviting their neighbors, and their neighbors are getting saved. And we're baptizing them with 30, 30 people at a time. That's unbelievable. Twice a year, right? Okay, it can't be that. There's no problem with that. Okay, and so people are coming to the Lord. They're telling me stories about all kinds of miracles God is doing in there. Oh, I need something. <laughs> 
because I don't want to come out. Oh, well, unlike you fellas. <laughs> what am I going to say? Well, our kids doesn't have problems. And maybe if you were more like us. You know, I, I just don't know what am I going to say. And so it came to me, and it's like, I, my heart's racing. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, problems. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. The parking. <laughs> the parking. Oh, let me tell you about the parking. <laughs> oh, there's this big nasty sports center, and they haul all our parking spaces. <laughs> and we have people. <laughs> they have to park across the street. <laughs> I didn't know what else to say. <laughs> what do you say? Okay, a church that keeps growing, it just grows. From, from day one with 20 people and 40 Costco chairs and no money, not a penny, not a penny. There are 12 full-time people here. We didn't have a penny. I'm serious. Do I need to say it again? <laughs> I don't have a penny. <laughs> What do you say to that? You say, praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah, amen. Listen, I'm going to tell you, I'm not done yet. I just want to say, listen, it's because of you. It's because of you. It's because of you over there. You're not just a hearer of the word. This church is, is well known for being loving and caring and people who just are hungry for the word of God. And, and everybody, if you do brag and you're bragging in the Lord, you're saying this church is about the Bible. He just opens it up and we're just reading through the Bible. But that's not where you stop. You put it into practice. And it's alive and it, the grace of God is abounding in your hearts and your homes. Yes, there's sober responsibilities here. And yes, of course, we've had our everyday issues like everybody else, but nothing, nothing big and huge and ugly. Just a day-to-day, sobering, serious, kind of weighted responsibility of caring for God's concerns. You can't take, uh, you can't take the seriousness out of that for sure. But I just want to say a word from the staff and the pastors. You make our job a joy. It's a joy. We get cards and letters and compliments and emails all the time. We are always being affirmed. People are always taking uh, the younger guys out and uh, buying them dinner and doing, taking them to dinner. This, just, this is our situation. So when I read that, I, I respond to this as a church that doesn't need that admonition. This is a church that understands, that makes it a joy to pastor. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your living word, and we let it do its work in our hearts. Lord, truly, you've spoken a lot uh, in different areas that have touched us, so help us to get a hold of that truth and put it into practice. We thank you so much. Father, we just know in our hearts that anything good that was mentioned and everything is ultimately traced back to the kindness and goodness and grace and mercy 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to him and him alone belong all the glory, honor, and praise. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.